you got to say is, way to go, Joe. Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. I invite you to turn to our text for the morning. We're in Ephesians. We're going to be in the book of Ephesians as God leads us for the next couple of weeks. It is the winter Bible study across the Southern Baptist Convention, January Bible study. And I always like the discipline of locking into a book and seeing how God speaks to my heart and how that I can come in here then and share it with your heart. Well, we're in chapter one, pick up. We just started last week and pick up with verse 15 and carry it to the end of that chapter to, through verse 23. <clears throat> and the title of the message is How to Pray for Our Church. Because the apostle closes chapter one with praying for the church at Ephesus. And in verses 15 and 16, we see him sharing that when he says, Therefore, I also, after I heard of your faith in the Lord Jesus and your love for all the saints, do not cease to give thanks for you, making mention of you in my prayers. And what follows is his prayer, out of which I raise the challenge here, how to pray for our church. Let's pray together. Almighty God, what a wonderful time together. What a sweet, precious, just loving, kind, your spirit, your spirit we feel in this place. And my prayer, and I know others join me, is that everyone here would feel that and everyone joining us by way of radio would feel that and know and know that the presence of the Lord is in this place and if he is not in our hearts, that we will invite him into our hearts. And I pray now to preach this word. May we receive it with gladness and forgive us of our sins in the precious name of Jesus. We pray together. Amen. If you see me over the next few minutes, reference my notes a little more than what I usually do, because I usually just have you know, a very broad outline but I just could not stop jotting down thoughts as I went through this. But if you could see my notes, you would be very grateful because this morning I took a red pen and marked out about half of those notes that I added last night. So you're safe, amen? You are safe. But I feel like a wonderful place, and this is out of my heart, that in the guidance in praying for our church, that number one, I, I put here, start with yourself. Now that is not the pulpit talking to you. I then in parentheses in my notes have, we need to start with ourselves here. Before we can pray with it for anybody else, we need to take a moment within our own heart and go before the Lord. And he brought to me the words of that old gospel chorus, it's me, O Lord, standing in the need of prayer. That's a great way to begin a time of worship. I Google lyrics all the time, you know, because these songs have been around a long time and in our life, but I'm not going to say I know them by heart. But this one here, you know, says it, it's, it's not my mother or my father, but it's me, O oh Lord, standing in the need of prayer. It's not my brother or my sister, but it's me, O oh Lord, standing in the need of prayer. 
And then a line that I had not seen before, in this one it says, it's not the beggar or the braggart, but it's me, O Lord, standing in the need of prayer. And then it said, it's not the preacher or the deacons. And I thought, that must be a typo, you know? Because I can guarantee you, the preachers and the deacons, we need all the prayer we can get, amen? So we begin by praying for ourselves and where we are in the Lord. And I think about in the Gospel of Luke, chapter 18, beginning with verse 9, Jesus tells about two men who went to church, went to the temple to pray. And one is a self-righteous individual who is so proud of his religiosity that he actually stands out in the middle of the courts of the temple and says, I thank God that I am not like other people, that I am not like these sinners. But then there is in the shadows of this massive place of worship, a very humble individual aware of his sinfulness. And he begins to pray, God have mercy on me, a sinner. And Jesus asked the crowd, who went home more justified that day? And of course, they knew to answer the man who was very humble and very repentant in his spirit. I think about years ago when GPS came out into automobiles, and I've shared with you, even though I think the car I own has it on it, when they asked me if they wanted me to activate it, I said no because I can get lost all by myself, okay? I can get lost all by myself. And when it first came out, and my wife and her dad, they just loved every toy that there was out there, and I would always have to be driving, and they'd be punching this GPS, and all I could hear in my mind was recalculate, recalculate, recalculate. Well, I don't know uh, how it first originated, but I love this, and that is that when we accept Jesus Christ, we get a GPS, friends. And that is, we get God's positioning spirit. Amen? And when we are off where we ought to be, the Holy Spirit tells us it's time to recalculate. So when we come into the house of the Lord, if we're going to pray for other people, we need to be very sensitive and listening to, where am I? Where am I? In the Lord. This is always a special memory for me to share, and that is, and I, I identify the locations because I know that you can locate it, but way back a long time ago when I was pastoring Central Baptist in this town, we, when the first ones came out, the WOW Youth Conferences, meeting in Macon right after the Christmas holidays in the Macon Coliseum, 10,000 seat Coliseum, we would go, and uh, these were the days of the last of the baby boomers were coming of age, and it took two Greyhound buses for us to take the youth group to Macon, and I went with them. And I'll always remember, and it comes back to me, and it may be God's GPS for me, but David Ring was preaching, and he's very powerful, very powerful, and he gave an invitation, and it was about the longest invitation I ever heard. He named things I'd never heard of. That if this is you, you need to come down here. You need, so I sat there and I'm like, I'm okay, I'm okay, I'm okay, I'm okay. Now remember, I'm the pastor of the church. 
Finally, he wound it up by saying, if you can remember a time when you were closer to the Lord than you are today, he said, you need to come down here and rededicate your life. Well, our spiritual life has ups and downs, and we may have been a little closer yesterday than we are today. And the Holy Spirit spoke to me and said, you're not as close today as you have been at some points in your life. And I thought, I'm not going down there. There's 10,000 people in this building. I'm not going down there. I got about 100 people from Central Baptist Church here. But I went down there. And I look back on that 40-something years later, and that was one of the greatest spiritual moments of my life. If you're not as close to the Lord as you used to be, who moved? How do we pray for our church? It's me, O oh Lord. I'm the one standing in the need of prayer. And all now we begin to pray for our church as the apostle prayed for the church at Ephesus. I just left one part out, but I didn't read it. Didn't read it out. Starting with ourselves, Matt Redmond said, I'm coming back to the heart of worship because it's all about you. It's all about you, Jesus. This is how the apostle prayed. He prayed for that church, and I make it very personal, that our church will know God better. And this is what he says in verses 17 and 18, that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give you the spirit of wisdom. Wisdom means to know the deep things of God. And revelation in the knowledge of Him, the only way that we can know God better and understand the deeper things of the Spirit is that God discloses Himself to us. Whatever you take out of here today, it will not be because of me. It will be because God revealed it to you. The revelation of Almighty God that we might get the spirit of wisdom, the revelation and the knowledge of Him and the eyes of your understanding, the eyes of the heart to be enlightened. The Apostle Paul prayed for the church at Ephesus that every day would be a day of understanding, knowing, relating, seeing God better. It's a personal relationship. The story will kind of trigger you think, maybe I've heard that before. But in one of the churches that I began to pastor, people would come out for two or three weeks introducing themselves to me. And I'll always remember the couple that came out. And the first thing that the man said to me was, Brother Bill, and he gave his name, and he introduced his wife, and he said, we're on a first name basis with Jesus. And that's the way we want to be with you. Whew. Jesus wants to be on a first name basis with you, friend. That kind of personal relationship, not the way that it was before Christ came into the world where they were even afraid to mention God for fear that he would strike them dead. Jesus comes along and says, when you pray, pray our Father, pray Daddy, which aren't in heaven, because you can know him that well. 
I had a deacon that when it was turn, his turn to do the invocation in that church, he would step to that pulpit and after a while we knew how he was going to start and he would always start his prayer by saying, good morning, Father. And it just make you want to open your eyes because you knew God was standing right there. Good morning, Father. Oh my goodness, Ralph Sockman in one of his sermons, the three sets of eyes, and I mention this often because it is so important. That is, we have the physical eyes by which we maneuver around. We have the mental or intellectual eyes by which we understand and deal with problems. And that's why when we finally get it, that's why we say, oh, I see. And a light bulb comes on. But we've got the eyes of the heart, the eyes of the spirit by which we see the things of God. And Paul said, I am praying for you that you will really see God. Oh, let us pray for our church that we will really, really see God. I apologized last week for saying ain't in the pulpit. I do have a pretty good education. And I do that because it's just country. I can't help it. But it's a way to make emphasis. And I, I was reminded in, in jotting these notes down back years ago with the sunlight hour, Monday through Friday, Friday on the radio here out of old WACL. Many of you listened to the sunlight hour back then. Eight o'clock in the morning, you know, everybody knew where their preacher was at Central Baptist. I was in a radio station at eight o'clock in the morning. And I had a child on my knee to take her to school when I finished. Well, there was some person out there, and I'm thinking it was an English teacher that just loved to drop me little notes and correct my grammar. And I'll always remember the day it was Easter time, you know, and the word, you know, sepulcher is really not easy to pronounce. And sepulcher is the way I pronounce it, the burial place of Jesus. Well, she sent me a note later saying the correct pronunciation is sepulcher. And I always answered her on the radio. I don't know who it was. But I told her, you're lucky because the preacher I grew up under called it sepulcher. <laughs> I kid you not that it was the sepulcher. I think I had made some pretty good strides, you know? And I love what W.A. Criswell, still revered, revered former pastor, now enjoying the glory of the Lord there out of First Baptist Dallas, talking about preacher's grammar. He said, I'd rather hear a preacher say I seen if he's seen something than to say I have seen if he ain't seen nothing. Amen. My prayer is that with the Apostle Paul, may it be your prayer, as Michael W. Smith sings, open the eyes of my heart, Lord. Open the eyes of my heart. I want to see you. I want to see you. I want to see you high and lifted up, shining in the light of your glory. Pour out your power and love as we sing, holy, holy, holy. The Beatitude, Matthew chapter 5, verse 8 says, Blessed are the pure in heart, for they 
shall see God. How do we pray for our church? Let's pray. Let's pray that every day we get to know God better. And in that little study book, that author actually entitled one section there. Next we pray, there's four things that the apostle prayed for for him here. And that is, I put it personal again, that our church would be a place of hope in Christ. Verse 18, which continues, he has prayed for them wisdom, revelation, the eyes of their understanding of the heart. And then he says, and that you may know what is the hope of his calling. And I say this because I know you remember some of the things. And that is that we need to be so conscious today that what the greatest spiritual need of people's hearts is, is that there are some hearts that are hurt and other hearts that are looking for hope. And when when we come in here, we need to be very sensitive to that. We need to be very sensitive. And those who might be joining us by way of radio, and I'm amazed every day at their response. And so I'm sitting there last night, and I'm meditating on this. And when I think about a heart that's hurting, it took me all the way back to college days when we would sit around a bonfire and we would sing the songs of that day, kumbaya, if I had a hammer, leaving on a jet plane, old people explain this to your kids, okay? (laughs) Please explain this to your kids. But I get chill bumps because it touches my heart. Kumbaya, meaning come by here, Lord, says, someone's crying, Lord. Someone's crying, come by here. And then the next one says, and someone's praying, Lord. Someone's praying. And so somewhere out there under the word of God, there's a tear, there's a prayer. And that our church, oh, needs to be a place of hope in Jesus Christ. And we need to get down to the brass tacks of it and understand that the problem is sin and Jesus is the answer. And that's just what, and I think about, and two things were brought to my mind, the dry bones of Ezekiel and the broken heart of Jesus' mission manifesto in Luke 4. But in Ezekiel 37, the prophet is shown the valley of dry bones It's a vision, it's a prophetic vision. The valley is just filled with a mass of the bones of a great group of people. God asked Ezekiel, oh prophet, can these bones live again? And Ezekiel says, you know, you know, oh Lord. (laughs) And God said, prophesy to these bones. It just hit me. Oh, listen. Praise God, I'm looking at real live people. Some preacher somewhere is standing and I mean, he thinks, are they really here with me? But thank God, you are. 
And he said, prophesy to these dry bones. And I love this. And it said, and there was a great noise as bones were rattling and coming together. And I thought, oh my goodness, when we get here, we need to pray for God to make some noise. Some noise that life is re-entering into somebody's heart. And then he asked him again, can they live again? And Ezekiel says, only you know. And at this time, flesh and muscle and arteries and everything. And there is a new body coming. And then God asked him again, can they live? And Ezekiel says, only you know. And God said, prophesy to the four winds. And there was the wind of the Spirit of God and a great host of people stood up. So let us pray that the wind of the Spirit will blow through this place today. That the wind of the Spirit will blow through this place today. And dry bones and withered hearts and spirits will fill out and be born again. And in Luke 4, verse 18, Jesus said that the Spirit of the Lord was upon him to preach the good news to the poor, to heal the brokenhearted. In the book, The Last Hundred Days of World War II, the story is told of General Eisenhower. Troops were massed across a river and engaged in the battle. General Eisenhower was reviewing the troops and he noticed one young private was very afraid. And General Eisenhower said, are you afraid, son? And he said, yes, sir, I am. Will it be all right if I walk to the river with you? Yes, sir. They marched to the river. General Eisenhower needed to go back to command the whole operation. And he said, are you okay? And according to the historical account in the book, The Last 100 Days, the young man said, yes, sir, I feel better. And General Eisenhower said to him, and I feel better also. Oh, my goodness, that song that says... Someone's crying, come by here. Someone's praying, come by here. Do you know the last stanza? Somebody's singing, Lord. Somebody's singing. Let us pray that our church will be the kind of church that when people walk out this door, they walk out with Jesus Christ and a song in their heart. Amen. That's what the apostle is praying. So let us pray that our church will be a place of hope in Christ. The third thing he prays for, and I put it into our context today, pray that our church will be a place of acceptance in the beloved. That phrase is very, very important to me. In chapter 1 of Ephesians, in verse 6, we just kind of skimmed over that little phrase last week where the apostle says that Jesus Christ has made us accepted in the beloved. Verse 18 of this prayer says that not only may God give us wisdom, revelation, and knowledge, not only may we know what is the hope of His calling, but that what are the riches of the glory of His inheritance in the saints. This has been a, 
a fascinating revelation for me in studying this. As I shared last week, the inheritance mentioned here is that when we accept Jesus Christ as our Lord and Savior, we are received into the worldwide body of Christ and become the people of God. That's the inheritance that he's speaking about, that that which Judaism so, so embraced, now everybody can embrace because of Jesus, that we are his people too, that we are his people too. Now last Sunday I shared that in Christ we receive, verse 7, redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of sins. We receive, verse 11, this inheritance. We are now included into the family and the people of God by Jesus Christ. And verse 13, we receive the security and the guarantee of our salvation all the way to eternity. And as I shared, thank God, today I'm saved, tomorrow I'm saved, and the day I die I will be saved, amen? I will be saved. But now today, we need to emphasize that what we have received from Christ is because He has received us and not rejected us. That's powerful to me. The only reason that we have anything from Almighty God is that He has reached out and accepted us in the Beloved. Amen? Because He has accepted us in the Beloved. The reason this is such a powerful phrase for me I have a Bible on my desk that was given to me by a little lady there in Central Baptist Church, Aletha Bergman, very dear to me and very well known and ministered to by our K. Thigpen, Stephen, and Anna. And Aletha was well in years, lived at Baptist Village, kind of like me now, you know, well in years and living at Baptist Village. She had been children's minister under the great R.G. Lee at Bellevue Baptist Church in Memphis, Tennessee. I have all kinds of books that she gave me. The autobiography of R.G. Lee, autographed by him. All kinds of books. I have passed them on to Kay and Stephen and Anna because of their affection for Aletha. But Aletha gave me a Bible back in those days. I was 26 years old, just at Central Baptist Church. She was well, well into her years. And inscribed in it was a very sweet note of her assessment, her feeling toward me as her pastor. And then she closed it with simply the scriptural notation, Ephesians 1, 6, accepted in the beloved. Accepted in the beloved. Jesus is a friend of sinners. He hates sin, but He loves the sinner. And if we will come to Him, He will make us acceptable. He said He will make us fishers of men. And then I love that billboard that says, if you'll catch them, I'll clean them. 
Amen. Oh, may God let this be a church where that people come in and no matter where they are in life, know that in here, in Jesus Christ, we accept you. We love you. And we want God's best for you in your life. And then the last, and the people said, Amen. Pray that our church will be a place of power of the risen Lord. We want to be a place where we can know God better, see Him clearer, follow Him nearer, and love Him dearer. A place that offers hope, a place that offers a welcome, and a place that experiences the power of the risen Lord. Verse 19 and that we might know the exceeding greatness of His power toward us who believe according to the working of His mighty power, which He worked when He raised, worked in Christ when He raised Him from the dead and seated Him at His right hand in the heavenly places. Far above all principality, power, might, and dominion, and every name that is named, not only in this age, but also in that which is to come. And he has put all things under his feet. And he's gave him to be head over all things to the church, which is his body. The fullness of him who fills all in all. We need to embrace a phrase that was a phrase of Lloyd John Ogilvie's ministry, resurrection power. The same power by which God raised His Son from the dead is our power today. It's our power today. I don't know why I'm back at Central Baptist in my mind and heart 45 years ago, but every morning on that radio program in that station, I would pray a prayer and it will ring a bell with many of you. Lord, help me to remember that nothing is going to happen to me today that you and I together can't handle. That needs to be the kind of church. That's the church we are. That whatever we come in here with, we know, we know that when Jesus Christ, we can handle it. One last story. I've lost track of my time, but the radio station will edit it. And that is in a book by Jim Griffith. And he tells the story of a rescue mission and it rings true with me. I used to preach in a rescue mission in downtown Macon. Had one of these high towers and up top a blinking light that said, Jesus saves. Jesus saves. The thing there was they would begin to line up in the afternoon to get a meal and a bed. But the problem was they had to hear me preach first. About the way it works here, you ain't eating till I'm through, amen? But he tells the story of a young preacher up there and he was preaching away about the power of Christ and how Christ could change their life and what could happen, that power, that hope. And a weary voice from the back cried out, well, what if you can't? Jim Griffith, a great storyteller, author of Pulpit to the Pew, pastor of Beach Haven Church in Athens and eventually the CEO of our denomination, 
he stopped the story there and wanted to know what did that young minister say. And the title of Dr. Griffith's book is Sure You Can. Somebody here, somebody by way of radio might be thinking, well, I just can't. Sure you can. Paul said, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. Pray for our church. We are blessed. We are blessed. But this is how to pray for our church. And that is pray that we are getting to know God better. Pray that people feel that hope that we feel in our heart. Pray that they will know that they are loved and accepted and pray that God has the power to work at whatever is happening in their life. We sing a hymn of invitation. However, God has spoken to your heart. I pray, I 